Jamie. Welcome to Driver Fix the Podcast, where I pick the podcast. And I shut my cake hole. And today we are going to be discussing the sixth episode of season five of Supernatural. I believe the children are the future. Jamie, what did you think? Okay, so I'm going to start by pulling back like the podcasting curtain a little bit for mm-hmm. all of our audience at home listening. Normally what we do is we watch the episode separately. And then we come together to record Mm because it's just more time efficient. It works nicely. Yeah. The only exception being a live reaction. Yeah. But by and large, we work separately. Also because we talk during the episode if we watch together. (laughs) And we prefer to be able to record those conversations and turn it into a podcast. We're literally incapable of shutting up. (laughs) But today we were like, oh, actually, we've got some extra time. We might as well do an extra episode of Supernatural. Keep us ahead. And... Leading into this, we were like, oh, we should have lunch as well. So we had lunch and we were like, oh, should we have lunch while we do, like, while we were, like, while we watch the episode so that we can just go straight into recording, keep moving. And Bethany goes, yeah, that should be fine. This is really a nothing episode. Like, it's just filler. There's really nothing important here. You're not going to need to take too many notes. We should be all good to, like, watch the episode and eat at the same time. Like, it should be all fine. And she fucking lied to me. This shit was... I'm so sorry. I don't know what possessed me to think that this was a nothing episode. I watched this episode recently. I don't know why I thought that this was a fine episode to eat. And what was I thinking? Couldn't tell ya. So we started watching this episode. And like five minutes in, I looked to Beth and I'm like, what the fuck are you on? Because there is so much in this episode. Let's start with what I think is the most fascinating point about this episode. Oh, okay. And that is simply the fact that it was fucking written by Andrew Darb. And Laughlin. We can't... We, no, it, and Laughlin. They but, are a writing duo that has cropped up a couple of times. We did yeah. look ahead at, like, what other episodes they've written. There is a number of them that we're coming up if to. If you are not familiar with specifically which episodes Darb wrote versus just was showrunner for, mm. look up the list of episodes that Darb wrote. Because... The previous episodes are fascinating, and based on Beth's reaction as I was reading out this list, the future episodes are also fascinating. It is a wild mixed bag, and it will... Maybe once we get to the end of like the episodes that he actually wrote, which will be the end of the series because he won't yep. carry on, maybe we should just do like a retrospective of just his episodes. Like, we could do we that. do that at the end of, yeah. for all the, yeah. all the writers that were show so we Maybe can, we do that. We can do that at the end of Gamble era for Gamble as well. End of Crookie era. That's end of Crookie. Up. I don't know. Did Jeremy Carver leave when he finished his era? I'm not was, 100% did he continue sure. on as a writer after he was showrunner? I'm not 100% sure. I have a feeling that maybe he didn't. I feel like maybe when they finished being showrunner, they just moved on because otherwise yeah. I guess it's like a bit of a demotion. Yeah. So, yeah. No, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. But maybe we do that. Maybe yeah. we do a... A retrospective. Of, of like, that writer in particular. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Darb's list is wild and this is no exception. No. This is an episode that is just full of implications. Mm. Like, so many implications. Though I will say it does follow the traditional Darb logic of only one person can be in character (laughs) at a time. Because I am watching this and first up you have Dean being bad with children. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) Like Dean is the one who was good with children. And then you had Sam who was bad with like being, and I was like, hilariously, I quite love 
that both Dean and Cass in this episode were just like, do you know what? Let's gaslight some children. <laughs> like, that was their tactic. The whole episode, because it wasn't even yeah. just Jesse. It was no. also the kid at the very start, mm-hmm. Jimmy. Hilarious choice in name, by the way. And I was like, wow, Destiel really out here gaslighting children. I, they, what? <laughs> oh, also, while we're talking about creatives behind this episode, I did want to make a note. This was directed by Charles Beeson, mm-hmm. who also did a, a number of episodes, but notably one of your preferred ones, Playthings, to Alert. Yes. I do, however, want to ask, Charles Beeson specifically. Yeah, we know he listens. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> obviously. I, I do specifically, like, I'm never probably going to go to a supernatural convention, but if I ever went to a supernatural convention and he was there, I'd probably line up and be like, okay, but why was this episode so grey, though? Because, like, <laughs> the colour grading on this shit is wild. Last episode as well, we yeah. talked about with Jen, like, for some reason, it's like suddenly we've Gone back to like season one levels of desaturation. This doesn't feel like season one. This feels like worse than season one. And I don't know if it's just because we've had some like quite colourful episodes recently. Mm. Like it's a terrible life in that which really does make use of that. But like it's just fucking great. Like I was like, I would just like to see one colour, please. (laughs) We did get to see one colour. We got to see a lot of blue this episode. So much blue and fucking red. Like, mm. there is one scene in this entire episode with colour, and it's the scene in the motel room uh-huh. where you've got Sam, Dean, and Cass after they've originally called Cass in to consult, and you've fucking got the blue light above the red light. I just had a fucking brainwave. Oh my god. Share it with the class, please, I Bethany. I have a note, and I was like, why the fuck is their motel room literally American flag themed? And it's because it's red, white, and blue. There's even a lamp that is just, it's a, gla- a stained glass lamp and it's just the American flag. The American flag is behind them on the fucking wall. I, look, it's <laughs> not a direction that I was expecting, but, but I've been, I was looking at it like, why of all things is this American flag coded? I, what? And that, Because it's red, white, and blue. Because it's red, it's white, and blue. The demons versus the angels versus Castiel. They should have had an episode in France. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could also have an episode in France if you would go to France with me again. I mean, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> we'll fly to France, especially to record the episode, The French Mistake. <laughs> and the mistake is how much money we spend on flights. <laughs> Just for the bit. Oh, okay. Here's the other thing. Yeah. Speaking of other countries <laughs> outside of America, we get an Australia reference in this episode. And I think it does really well to highlight how stupid the trio is. Team like, Free Will? Team free, that, yeah, Team Free Will. Like, I know that's what people... I don't okay. know why. I have I, inklings about why, but I don't... Because of osmosis? Yeah. Yeah, I was so excited. I was like, I'm just going to let this spoiler come out. No. So we have a great summary of how stupid Team Free Will are. Because they're literally standing in this kid's bedroom. The entire wall is covered in posters that aren't just like... The stereotypical, like, Bondi beach surfing, like, whatever the fuck else. I mean, to be fair, I don't surf. I don't know if Bondi is even good for surfing. But the point is, there's a stereotypical surfing, waves, beautiful beach imagery. It, it, it even says, says like, Australia. In massive print and underneath it's, like, beaches, bikinis and surfing or something yeah, like that. like, like a, that's a terrible slogan. Yeah. But, like, here's the thing. I mean, to thing. be fair, it's better than throw another shrimp on the barbie, so. <laughs> True. And then they're like... We don't know where he could be. How would we ever find him? I'm like, I don't know, guys. If Bobby had been there, yeah, solved in two yeah. seconds flat. Though I am excited. Does this character? Does the Antichrist come back? He does not. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, you're telling me. I normally, normally I would leave it open ended, but it is just so funny and so dumb that he never comes back. So you're telling me they have this kid who is now an ally because at the end of the episode, the kid is on their side, and I would argue that one of the reasons the kid runs away is because a he doesn't want to put like his mum and dad in danger. And B, because he doesn't want to put everyone else around him in danger. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's including, like, Sam Dean and his birth mum. Uh-huh. He's like, I am better, I'm better noping the fuck out of here and getting away from everyone and going into hiding by myself so that I'm not putting anyone else at in risk. danger. Yeah. I would argue that he is also, at this stage, what I would describe as an ally of Sam and Dean. Like, he believes Sam and Dean. And he wants to do better than fucking Sam did. Mm-hmm. And he Which wants- we're going to talk about and that. He, that's it's a nothing episode, Jamie. Nothing significant happens here. This kid could very easily be like the cult was in season one. Except mm-hmm. for actually introduced ahead of time. So probably more like something along the lines of like Andy or Ava. Yeah. And they're just not going to bring him back? Nah. Here's my theory on that. I think he's genuinely like, he's overpowered. If they had him, it would be too easy. But I'm also but, like, you didn't have to do that. No. You were deciding his limitations. You could have just been like, but also he's here's powerful the thing. as an angel kind of thing. Like He is overpowered 100%, but the thing is, I think you could still successfully bring him back because, okay, yeah, he's overpowered, but he's also a fucking kid. Yeah. Kids are irrational. Kids are, like, prone to making impulse. Like, okay... He's all-powerful, but also... He's not all-knowing. He's a fucking kid. Like, there's plenty of complications that you can still bring in. Mm-hmm. Not related to his power level, but rather related to the fact that he is a fucking kid. And I'm assuming the apocalypse isn't going to last, like, 20 years or some shit like that. Like, <laughs> I'm assuming they're dealing with this shit in the next, like, in terms of in-universe time. Like, I'm assuming the apocalypse will have to be dealt with in the next, like, year. Unless they're fucking doing a Twilight thing where he grows up at, like, like, double the rate or whatever, like, oh a fucking God, like Renesmee. Renesmee. <laughs> Which we do get the kissing vampire movies. I'm obsessed with the fact that they are so determined to drag on Twilight. They don't use the same lighting techniques and colour grading. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, they're not as blue as Twilight. True. Not quite. They're we, more grey. To be blue. fair. You know how so said- They're not as blue as Twilight until Cass steps into the fucking scene. <laughs> Except Lazarus Rising, yeah. They're like, no, everything is going to be blue. Do you know what? There is actually... You know how I was saying that as we sort of get through the show... Castellas Edward. He does watch Dean sleep. <laughs> Dean Bella. Who's Sam? Anna Kendrick's character. Is that his name Jess? Oh my god. <laughs> because then you've obviously got, like, Charlie is Bobby, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. which means that the mother who abandons them to go and follow her baseball pay, like boyfriend or parent is John. Baseball. <laughs> this just in Twilight is actually a supernatural AQ. <laughs> See, because here's the we thing. We talked about Sam's just... Bella coding yeah, before, which be- is the problem. Because, like, Sam by and large does scream Bella. <laughs> yeah, like, the costuming choices are low. <laughs> the ability to Google vampires. Um. <laughs> Sorry, not Google. Web search. Mm. But who's Jacob? I have an answer, but I can't give it because it's a spoiler. For those listening at home, you <laughs> know the love triangle I'm thinking of. It is season eight. You know no, which one. It's fucking Crowley. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> that's also valid. 
for those listening at home, you also know which season I'm thinking about. <laughs> anyway, moving right along from that. Yes, I, I do love the line, all they care about is iPhones and the kissing vampire movies. Weird run on from last week's episode, honestly, with Paris Hilton and that yeah. whole thing about like the young people only worshipping like technology and celebrities rather than the old gods. What is baffling about that, though, is, okay, you have Paris Hilton say the line, and it's iconic, and nothing else needs to be said about that line, (laughs) but we also get basically the same line from the Wax Museum curator last episode, which is like, oh, like, I'm working on a new exhibit for, like, Mm -hmm. Gen Z or whatever. Gen Y. Gen Y. Because this was from 2009. (laughs) (laughs) Which is basically the same thing again of, like, oh. But, like, that's really funny, because, like, that line in that episode is portrayed as, like, Only classic celebrities are any good. Before we get too far away, and honestly, we kind of already have, but I'm going to bring it back to what we were talking about a moment ago, which is the... Continuity on the podcast couldn't be us. Who's heard of it? We were talking about, like, the lighting and the colouring and, you know, obviously the red, white and blue and, like, all of the symbolism around that. We've talked about this a lot, but I want to talk about how, Jamie, you made the great point, I want to say, in 418, The Monster at the End of this book, about how you have this theory that white symbolizes heaven and then blue is cast specifically. Like, and the longer we have cast, the more separated the blue and white light surrounding cast seems to be. Yes, exactly. I want to talk about that because I think that it perfectly applies. We to also did get feedback that that point of mind did give someone brainworms. So... Yes, so you're welcome. <laughs> Love Jamie. So sorry about that. This particular episode, there was a moment where I, when I was watching, I was like, oh my God, this so perfectly fits. Jamie's theory on the blue and the white. And so I want to mention it here. When Dean, Cass, and Sam are all talking in the motel, and Cass is basically like, we have to kill this kid, he's got too much power, he's too dangerous, and we'll come back to this conversation in a minute, because a lot happens there. Basically, they're like, no, Cass, like, we're not going to kill this kid, and Cass is like, you might not be about to kill this kid. I, on the other hand, has two thumbs and is about to kill that kid. This guy! (laughs) Exactly. So, Cass nopes on out of there, and he appears in front of Jesse, and First of all, hilariously, he is like, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. And I'm like, Cass, baby, again with the gaslighting children. What is it with Destiel today and gaslighting kids? What gets me, though, is the kid is simultaneously Sam Dean and Cass coded all at once. It's bizarre. We will come to that, too. But my point is, right as Cass, Cass goes into that house, there is no more blue lighting, right? Yeah. As he is, like, lifting the angel blade to come down on Jesse, the light behind him is white. It's not blue. It is white. Like, this is the wrath of heaven here. This is Cass doing what, quote-unquote, has to be done for the greater good. I'm using lots of air quotes right now. This is not what Cass wants to do. This is what Cass thinks needs to be done to protect heaven. Yes, exactly. Like, this is much more Cass the warrior of God versus, actually, I'm going to rephrase that. It's more Castiel, angel of the Lord, than it is Cass, Dean's buddy. You know, like... Very different entities, and I thought it was really, really, really interesting that he had the white light, because normally I'm just like, oh, like, halo imagery, cool. But now I'm looking at it with the context of it's also white light, specifically, that I just think adds an extra layer there. Like, yeah, this is Cass acting on behalf of heaven, not on behalf of his own thoughts, beliefs, and morals. Yeah. So thank you, Jamie, for the brain worms that led to that. You're welcome. I do want to return to the point that I just made, which is this kid is simultaneously... Cass, Dean, and Sam coded. Heavily. He basically is raising himself because of absentee parents. Yeah, we get the... Dean coded. We get the incredible line 
is that why they leave you alone all day? Because they love you so much? And I was like, oh, wow, Dean and his abandonment issues. And then we literally get the Sam coding because, of course, he is, like, half demon and all that bullshit. And, and self-described also, freak. Self-described <laughs> freak is what I literally actually what I was about to say. Sharing the brain cell. I had freak in all caps in my notes. No context, just freak. <laughs> and then you have Castiel coded because he's like, yep, I'm just going to nope on out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, whoop. Gone. like, I'm going to fuck off to Australia. Hilariously relevant. <laughs> actually. For anyone listening at home, reading is fundamental. <laughs> While we're talking about, like, the kids and that, I do want to return to the point I was making earlier where I was like, it is really weird to me that this episode, Dean is no good at speaking to children. Yeah. Every other episode where we've had, like, a child victim or, like, a victim-adjacent child, Mm -hmm. Dean has been the one to deal with the kids. Because Dean is good with kids, Sam's okay with kids, but he's not good with kids. So it's it's really weird for me because, like, talking to, like, the first kid. Jimmy. Jimmy. And he's like, oh, yeah, and he's talking about his babysitter. I'm like... Dean, did you forget that you were homeless and just left alone? Like, yeah. you didn't have a babysitter. I know. My note was Miss Chansey is bullshit. Like, the closest Dean ever had to a babysitter was Bobby. And even or then. Maybe, like, we obviously, like, we haven't talked about them in ages because they Father, become very irrelevant. But, like, Pastor Jim Pastor and Jim. there was one other guy, Caleb or something. Yeah. They become very irrelevant very quickly. We literally never hear about them again. But, but also... Yeah. Do they ever do a flashback episode where you see them, like, staying with, like, like, you know, John's out on the case, so they're staying with, like, Caleb or Pastor Jim or Bobby? Or every time we see him in flashbacks when they've been left by John, they're, like, left alone. I don't think we ever get Caleb or Jim, but we do get Bobby. We definitely get Bobby. It's a very, um, key... But I'm assuming that's, like, there is a single episode of that, and there is, like, a dozen episodes where we get flashbacks, and they're just, like, randomly alone. Yeah, there's one other episode... Where Dean is under someone's care, but the circumstances surrounding it are not like he was yeah. left with Bobby. Like, it's a very different scenario. It's not, okay, John was a responsible parent. I was like, I'm going to be away for a few days. Someone should care for my children. Yes, that is 100% not what happened. Yeah. Most of the time when we get flashbacks or we get insight into what was happening when they were younger, they were either alone or it's implied that they were with Bobby but we don't really see it. Yeah. In one instance that I can think of off the top of my head, we do see them with Bobby as kids, or at least I think we see Dean. I mean, I could be wrong. There's 15 fucking seasons of this show. If anyone can think of any other examples, please feel free to remind me, but I'm pretty sure we only get one where we actually see it. So yeah, so Miss Chance is bullshit. I'm calling it now. Yeah. Yeah. While we're at it, I do want to mention, actually, first of all, we haven't touched on this, but we, we talked about it during the episode. What? Is it with the supernatural casting directors and just finding the most iconic child actors? It's one of the only things that they have not fucked up the whole series. I think we've yet to have a flop child actor on this show. Literally, oh, do you know what? We should look up. We should look up the names. Yeah. So there was the there was the young girl. The young girl is a fucking icon. When she's like, "What? So some freak can come into my room and steal my tooth? No, thank you." Fucking icon. The actor who played Jesse is called Gatlin Griffith. Has he done anything else? I want to watch his entire filmography. Yeah, bear with me. I'm just Jesse was an icon. Little girl's father. The little girl was played by Delilah Bella. So let's see what Gatlin has. Apparently booked a series of television commercials for Home Depot. Hell yeah. You get that Home Depot money. 
He was on The Untold Stories of the ER. He was on Cold Cases. How I Met Your Mother, Criminal Minds. Made a feature film debut opposite Angelina Jolie in the Academy Award nominated film Challenging in 2008. What the what? <laughs> I want to watch that now immediately. Gatlin has appeared in nearly a dozen films, most notably Couples Retreat for Universal Pictures opposite Vince Vaughn. The New Daughter with Kevin Costner for Mandate Pictures and Green Lantern opposite Tim Robbins for Warner Brothers. He is an accomplished equestrian gymnast. This kid is fucking up. <laughs> oh so, wait, wait, which Green Lantern? Was that the Green Lantern with fucking Ryan Reynolds? I, I feel like they would have mentioned Ryan Reynolds if it was Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. He not only is an accomplished equestrian gymnast and fourth generation trick rider whose grandparents, Dick and Connie Griffith, are in the Pro Rodeo National Cowboy and Cowgirl Halls of Fame. What? <laughs> also, um, for a reference, I'm getting all of this from IMDb. So if anyone wanted to read this whole thing for themselves, that's where I found it. I'm not going to go to Wikipedia. I do think that that is enough information. Also, the top of his page looks like a clip from some sort of Western either show or film called Catch the Bullet from 2021. So he's still doing stuff. No, it is the Green Lantern with Ryan Reynolds. Do you want to know what's really fucking funny about Tim Robbins? At the time of this filming, he was fucking married to Susan Sarandon. Oh who's in Thelma and Louise. Like, that is hilarious, but also, we made a lot of jokes about Twilight. Would you like to know the surname of the actress who played Jimmy's mum? Is Patricia Cullen. <laughs> Wait, hang on a minute. And Delilah Bella, who played the little girl, and that is, like, her name in the credits is Little Girl. Oh my god, by age of six, she'd participated in many acting competitions where she won Best Actor of the Year. Oh, that's literally her entire biography, though. It just says she and her family moved to Vancouver, BC, where she continues to pursue her acting career. That's literally all IMDb has. But that is fucking wild. Do you want to know what else is wild? Okay, so obviously Gatlin Griffith in Green Lantern plays, like, a young Hal Jordan, which is Ryan Reynolds' character. Basically, he okay. played Ryan Reynolds as a, a flashback, kid. yeah. In a flashback, right? Do you want to know who else was in the 2011 Green Lantern movie? Who? Taika Waititi. Oh my god! <laughs> Why is everything attached to Supernatural somehow? I'm telling you. We can connect our flag means death to Supernatural. We can connect Ryan Reynolds to Supernatural. <laughs> what? Six degrees of separation is literally no joke. That's fucking hilarious. Anyway, point is, the child actors... In this episode in particular, like in every episode of Supernatural thus far, but this episode specifically, fucking phenomenal. And I think we should take a moment to appreciate some of their most iconic moments. Do we want to start with, actually, oh, who played Jimmy? Because he was also good. Oh, while we are Googling this and you're silent for a moment, I do want to get what my point was actually about out. Because like, I've talked about how Dean was bad with children in this episode. And what got me the most was that the fact that he was threatening a traumatized fucking child. Mm-hmm. I was like... That is the least Dean coded thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, and we've seen after school special. <laughs> I mean, like, there um, is no way Dean is going to be threatening a fucking child right now when the child is clearly fucking traumatized. Yeah. Also, very quickly, the actor who played Jimmy, that child that Jamie's talking about, is someone called Andrew Bernard the Fourth specifically, but he is most well known for Supernatural. Apparently he does have two other credits to his name, something called Housekeeping from 2012 and something else called God Only Knows from 2013. So again, from IMDb. So if you're interested, you can go and have a look yourself. But Here's the thing. The first through the third, I don't care about, but the fourth. <laughs> fourth. I want to talk about my favorite line from that kid, mm-hmm. which is, 
I can't. I'm dead. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, mood. <laughs> yeah, mood, but also it's immediately followed up by, I'll go to bed if you let me touch your boobs, which is like big yikes. I know. <sighs> the fucking metronome of Supernatural never ceases to amaze, and specifically the metronome of Darb and apparently Laughlin. Here's the thing, though. Like, I think that there are a lot of really good things about this episode. Like, mm-hmm. I think there are some things about this episode that are really, like, fascinating as concepts. I think some of them are, like, explored decently well Mm -hmm. and then there are other things about this episode that i'm like why the fuck is this here Mm -hmm. like without this thing it's a arguably good episode of supernatural so like it can only be so good (laughs) so still mediocre (laughs) there are so many things about this episode that mean that it could be an incredible and fantastic episode of supernatural like there are certainly elements here that i'm like yeah this shit is like unironically kind of good but then he just throws all of this extra unnecessary shit in and I'm like, well, you, you've got to blown it. Like, it can no longer be a good episode of Supernatural because you've decided to make it bad. To make it bad. <laughs> That's not even getting into all the things about this episode that are just kind of weird. I will put as a quick caveat, like, obviously the comment is gross and we have a couple of things in this episode where, like, Dean is kind of gross with the nurse. Like, he yeah. reaches out and grabs her badge, which He's is like, such an I amazing I appreciate you space. and then he immediately touches her without consent and I'm like... And, like, obviously there's, like, lots of issues there. I will point out, like, we often do caveat of the fact mm. that this was 2009. Obviously we are looking at it through a very different cultural lens. I like to think we've come a long way since 2009. Yeah. It's not as far as I would have liked, but we have come a long way. So, like, obviously a lot of these quote-unquote jokes would have gone over a lot better through the media lens of 2009 versus media lens of 2023. Yeah. yeah. They weren't good jokes in the first place. Yeah. But my point is that at the time, they would have been a lot more socially acceptable than they are now. And I think I want to make it clear when I say that this sort of ruins the potential of it being good. The reason why I say that specifically is like, yes, the jokes are big yikes, but my issue is a, the jokes are big yikes, but also they are unnecessary, unnecessary and out of character. So it's like, not only is the joke bad, Mm. not only is the joke not needed, it also damages the characterization. Yeah. So it's like, it's just like a triple triple whammy. It's not like, just like a, oh, that was a bit of a... It's again it's, leaning into the whole, like, Dean is gross with women thing. Yeah. And it's like, sure, okay, like... Send me back to fucking after school special. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, given that, like, the jokes aren't really necessary and they're not really that funny, it just, it doesn't seem worth the character assassination to me, personally. Mm. And so I think, I think that's actually the element that makes it, like, instead of just being an episode of television with a bad joke in it, it makes it a bad episode of television, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. It's the context, like, it's yeah. the implications of the joke on the characterization and on the, like, larger picture yeah. of the episode. It's not as bad as After School Special in terms of character assassination, but it's not great. This episode is a lot better. Yeah. Like, fucking, it's worlds better than After School Special. Yeah. I want to very quickly finish on, like, the kids, because I, I do yeah. want to go through some of their more mm-hmm. iconic moments, because yeah. they really were, like... Mm-hmm peak in this episode the fact that the little girl straight up called the tooth fairy a freak she's just like yeah so some freak is gonna come in my window and i was like do you know what you've got a fucking point why do we tell children santa claus the easter bunny and the tooth fairy all of whom break into houses while everyone is asleep and just do weird shit why do we think that's fine (laughs) i just love her like sounds scary no thanks like i'm good 
I also want to talk about Jesse. There's a couple of moments that he has which are just iconic. When he tells the demon to sit down and shut up. Just amazing. But also, and I left this for last because I think that we're going to talk about it for a minute. Which is, yeah, it's called soup. You heat it up and you eat it. Which, first of all, fucking hilarious. But second of all, Sam's response. Yeah, I know. I used to make my own dinner too. Which is a lie on so many (laughs) levels on Sam's part. Because the implication of him saying, yeah, I used to make my dinner too is, yeah, when I was a kid, I used to make my dinner too. Like, when I was your age, I used to make my dinner too. Which is a fucking bald-faced lie. Dean was cooking. At this point, so Jesse was born, they said, in March of 1998, right? Mm -hmm. So that would make him, at this point, in, like, 2009, so, like... He's younger than me, but older than you. Yeah. So that would pop him as, like, what, 11? Like, 11 or 12, depending on, like, when the episode is set. That means that when Sam was Jesse's age, so when Sam was, like, 11, that would make Dean 15. So, like, there's a potential that at that point John is taking Dean out on hunts and they're leaving Sam alone by themselves. Like, Mm. that is a possibility. But, like, up until about that point, Dean would have been the one... And, like, the other thing is, like, the only actual flashbacks we've seen include Dean cooking for Sam. We've never seen Sam prepare his own food that I can think of. Excluding maybe the, like, shaken salad thing. What did you say that his day... Like, because his birthday's in March, yeah? 29th. 29th. Oh, fuck. I was like, no, we have so many friends with birthdays in March. How cool would it be if someone <laughs> shared a birthday with, like, the Antichrist? Like, oh, my God. I kind of want to, like... This is so stupid. You know the, like, star chart thing you can do? I kind of want to know what he's, like, rising. <laughs> well, you won't get a rising with... Do we know what time he was born? No. From the scene we see of his birth, I want to assume night, but honestly, it's supernatural. So it could yeah. have been the middle of the day and just dark. She was, like, in the warehouse thing in a cage. Like, it was a weird setting. He's an Aries. Do we want to say it was like witching hour? Do we want to say it was like 3am? Just for the sake of it. Where was he born? I don't know if we know. We know where she was afterwards. We know where he was during. He was born. He was in Alliance. But I don't 23rd, know. 29th of March, 1998. Yeah. I'll Google. I if Google knows. He's born at 3am. It just says adopted to Alliance, Nebraska. Let's go Nebraska. Let's go Let's... Nebraska. He's a Capricorn Ascendant. <laughs> so he's an... Aries sun and an Aries moon. Oh, okay. And he's a Capricorn rising. Interesting. What does that tell us about the Antichrist, <laughs> whose who's birth star chart we're currently looking up? As much as Aries wants to charge forward and do things impossibly, Capricorn rising holds the person back so they can think of their consequences. Do you know what's really interesting about that? Is that I think that this child has more emotional intelligence than any adult in this show. I mean, he has more emotional intelligence than Sam, which is a literal (laughs) fucking plot point, which is fucking hilarious. I know. Like, I'm sorry, what? I know. You're seriously going to give this one random child character, you're seriously telling me that this, like, what, 12-year-old? Yeah, at max. (laughs) At max is fucking more emotionally mature than Sam and Dean were combined in the first couple of seasons of this fucking show. Like, Obviously, we, I'm going to give the quote, but there is Sam who is arguing for Jesse and arguing like, we don't have to kill him, like he could be good. And he says, if we lay it all out for him, what he is, the apocalypse, everything, he might make the right choice. And there is the most dramatic pause of all time. And we know that and, Cass is and an extra yeah. bitch. We know, that pause 
is on purpose. He is it's letting so the drama Sam build. Can reflect on the bullshit that's just come out of uh-huh. his mouth. Uh huh. And he looks him dead in the eye, and he steps forward, and he goes, "You didn't." And I'm like, "Bitch, <laughs> that's so funny." And then, literally, if Cass had longer hair, he would have just done a hair flip and disappeared. Like, <laughs> you you know the vibe. Like, there is no way for Sam to argue with that. No, there is because not. literally. Dean was telling him, don't do this. Bobby was telling him, don't do this. Cass and the angels were telling him, don't do this. And he was like, "Mm, actually, no, I'm going to listen to Ruby, a demon who's very clearly manipulating me. Yeah. No, it's just, it's so funny. I also think that Cass, like, he's such an asshole. Like, but he's always an asshole with a point. He's not being a dick for the sake of it. He's being a dick because, like, do you hear yourself, Sam Winchester? Blood freak, do you hear yourself? It's so funny. I love him. He's an icon. Oh, also, we get the moment of him sitting on a whoopee cushion. I just want to appreciate that for just like a hot second. And then Dean does the fucking like, who could have put that there? The look that Cass gives him. Props to Misha. Fucking, he said a thousand words with that one look and it was beautiful. And you know what? I actually really enjoyed that bit. And mm-hmm. you know what? It kind of gave me the vibes of. It kind of gave me leverage vibes. Because, like, that's the exact thing they fucking do in Leverage. They're like, oh, yeah, we're just going to have a character casually mention this. And, like, yeah. you know, Dean does, like, the little wavy thing. Like, it's a fucking movie cushion. Like, how yeah. great is this? And you just kind of forget about it. And then it comes back and you're like, the fucking whoopee cushion. I do live for that shit. I do like that. Yeah. Also, very quick aside, this is the second occurrence of itching powder. Because we had the first one in Hell House. Yeah. And, like, obviously in this instance, like, it's very different and someone died so it's like but you know but also they they describe it as scratching your brains out which just there's a fucking skull there how do are you going in through the eyes you know what's so funny it's like they say that they found the press on nail in her frontal lobe i'm like how she like her skull is intact how (laughs) like yeah that's a great fucking point did she show it through her fucking eyes uh, are they going in through the eyes through the nose under the chin like yeah like how is she do how is she making her nail in there here's the thing i don't know if you know this but bone is stronger than cartilage (laughs) because essentially your nails are what keratin and they're trying to tell us that her nails were strong enough to be fair it was a press-on so like it could have it could have been acrylic (laughs) Uh, so she had press-on nails that lasted long enough for her to literally scratch through her skull. Where is she getting her nails done? Honestly. But then it snapped off in her brain, which is soft tissue. Which is mush. Well, actually, while we're on the babysitter, I have a guess for your PSA. Oh, yeah. Lovely. Let's go into it now. So, Beth, what do you think my PSA of the day is going to be? I would love to tell you. Okay, yeah. so my PSA guess for today is that you really shouldn't sit that close to a screen. Like, there was a couch right there. You know what? Like, that's not my PSA. Spoiler alert. But it did <laughs> trigger something in my brain. And I am shocked that they didn't do it. Like, if you sit too close to the TV, your eyes will go square. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm shocked that they didn't also yeah, use that. Yeah, that was a prime opportunity. Yeah. And also, that would have been fucking wild if the kid came downstairs yeah. and was like, hey, like, I want a glass of water. Yeah. Or something, and she turned around and her eyes were square. Like, I just, I feel like that, like, even if it wasn't the babysitter, like, I feel like that could have been. I don't know how they would have done it. And we would have made fun of the effect. Probably just contact. Like, because I'm just imagining, like, your iris square. Oh, I'm imagining the whole eye. I'm imagining. (laughs) 
like the lids or a str- like I was imagining something really fucked up. I was imagining like a Snapchat filter. Like <laughs> I was imagining like like just the iris. Yeah, the yeah. iris. Did you have a thing that like you believed when you were a kid that like you heard from like a, someone at school or from a friend or like from your parents that you believed? No, I did have one irrational belief that I did cling on to desperately that my sister fucking hated. Yeah. And that is, I believe that circles are just one big long corner. Oh my god. I hate that. Like, technically, it's wrong. But also, think about it. <laughs> like, if you were walking in a circle, you would be going you're around a corner. You're, you're, you're yeah. turning. Oh my god, like, if you think of, like, a roundabout. Yeah. You're going around, around it, a corner. And it's turning. a circle. You yeah. indicate. Mm-hmm. So it really just depends on your definition of a corner. Wow, thanks. Now you've forever fundamentally changed my opinion on what a corner slash a circle is. Thanks. <laughs> like, for that. Like, for mathematic purposes, uh, like, it's not. But also, to practically speaking, Jamie, basically just one big long corner. Do you know what's really funny? Is I don't specific. I had definitely heard of the one where, like, if you pull a face, like, and you, it'll, yeah. like, if the wind changes, it'll freeze that way. Yeah. But I never really believed it. Like, I no. just sort of knew of it. The one. The an irrational childhood fear that I had is actually also relevant to this episode. So you know in the little girl's room, yeah. as they like zoom away from her in the bed, you see the mobile and it's got all the little fairies. Mm. Okay, I had one very similar. So it was, I don't know if it was like plastic or glass or what. Like my memory wants to tell me glass, but also I was a child, so who fucking knows. Mm. But it didn't hang over my bed. It hung from about the center of my childhood bedroom. And where it hung was right under my fire alarm. And the fire alarm had a permanent green light. And so, like, during the day, it just looked like a normal fairy mobile, right? Mm. But at night, the way that the green light refracted through the fairy's wings made it look like a witch. And it was green. And there was, like, it made a circle of light on my bedroom floor that was green. And as a child, I would, like, I'd get up in the night, I'd need to go to the bathroom, or I'd be thirsty, I needed water. And I was fucking terrified i had this fear that if i went into the green light the witch would be able to see me and would kidnap me and take me away and i believed that for fucking years god knows why i didn't just tell my mother so she could remove it from my ceiling but like i was mortified that if i went into the green light under the witch that i would like i don't know get kidnapped or die like wait so you had a fire alarm in your bedroom yeah don't look at me i didn't organize the wiring of the house why is there a fire i think a I think we had a fire alarm in every bedroom because we had a system where it was like if one went off, they all went off. So the idea was like if like one went off in the kitchen, you would still like wake up in your bedroom. It's overkill. I'm aware. We have one. It's in the main hallway. We had about six and one was in the kitchen. And the idea Wild. Was, I know. If one went off. And they were fucking loud. You do not need that many. But no. if one went off, then all of them would go off. And so the idea was like, if me or my brother were sleeping, we would still wake up. Or if my parents were sleeping. Because like, but yeah, so I was terrified of the the witch in my mobile. Fascinating. That was not at all my PSA. <laughs> it was also so irrelevant. My PSA was about the stigmatization of mental health. Oh, there yes. Are like, this lady literally scratched through her skull and they were like, oh yeah, well, she must have just been like crazy or on drugs or some shit. I think they said... Either on PCP or OCD, either way spells crazy. And, like, what the fuck, guys? Like, the stigmatization of mental illness is fucking real. So it's concerning that this medical professional is like, I'm just going to dismiss this as a sign of mental illness. And also the concept that, like, she was previously undiagnosed but would have a case severe enough 
that this would be possible. Like, ridiculous. Just absolutely ridiculous. On that scene, though, mm. he asks, oh, didn't you read the report that I emailed mm. out? And I think Sam says, like, oh, we had server issues. Yeah. And both you and I looked at each other and we were like, oh, we have both made this exact excuse at our jobs. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, if we have someone and they ring up on the phone and, like, for whatever reason, if, like, we haven't received an email or, yeah. like, like, literally anything has happened where I can blame technology, I'm blaming the technology. Like, the amount of shit I have scapegoated off on Telstra? Yeah. Hilarious. If you're not Australian, you may not know, but no one likes Telstra. Yeah. I used to work in a job where we had an issue. We did actually genuinely have an issue with our internet. And then we couldn't use any FPOS machines and it was a nightmare for weeks. People got so angry because they'd come in and I'd be like, I'm sorry, like we can't take FPOS, we only take cash. And then they'd have to go to an ATM. Anyway, people were pissy. Mm-hmm. And I was literally my go-to, and I said this to so many people, was like, Look, I'm really sorry. Honestly, take it up with Telstra. And as soon as I said that, they weren't pissed at me anymore. They were all furious at Telstra. Every single person had a story about Telstra. It was the be-all and end-all. If I blame Telstra, suddenly no one's mad at me anymore. They're just mad at Telstra and we are comrades. (laughs) So that was uh, very relatable of them. Oh, I want to talk about something that is just truly baffling. And leads me to ask the question, have the writers of this week's episode ever met a human woman? Because <laughs> the babysitter is brushing her hair. Here's the thing. If if she was like, like the parents are going out for a night or whatever, the older sister's like 16, 17, whatever. Yeah. So she, and she's just like agreed to stay home with her little brother or whatever and babysit. Okay, she's brushing her hair. Like she's at home. Yeah. What the fuck is she brushing her hair while babysitting somebody else's fucking kid? I know. It raises the question. Did she bring her own hairbrush or is she using theirs? Either option is weird. Yeah. Like, I feel like... (laughs) Like a toothbrush. Okay. Like if she thinks she... Like obviously she falls asleep there. Like obviously they're going to be out really late. Like, oh, she doesn't actually fall asleep. She dies. But you know, like the implication is that it's quite late. They're not surprised that she's fallen asleep. So I understand a toothbrush because like, sure, if you're thinking you might be there quite late. But a hairbrush seems weird. And it's on top of the TV. Like, she doesn't pull it out of a bag. But also for me, like, even with the toothbrush, it's like, I'm going to go home to do all of that. Mm. Like, here's the thing. It would make sense if she was staying there overnight. Like, if it was like, it's just easier for you to, like, we've got a spare bedroom. Just, like, when you're ready to go to bed, just crash here. Like, we'll take you home Mm. in the morning or whatever. Like, but, like, it's very obvious, like, the plan was for her to go home. Mm. And, like, that's what, like, I one of my first jobs ever was babysitting. You know, the parents would get home at 2 a.m. or whatever, and you just go home. go home and brush your hair and your teeth and get yeah. into your pajamas. And I've driven home. home from babysitting like, at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning. And you do all that stuff when you get home. Not once did I ever randomly brush my hair. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. I don't understand the logic there, especially because there are other ways for the little kid to have been able to get itching powder on her, put it on her jacket or something, like, and then she could scratch somewhere that isn't literally scratching her brains out. He could have sprinkled it, like, snuck up behind her and, like, sprinkled it directly. As she was watching directly. TV. And then, yeah, rather than hiding in the closet, yeah. although then we would miss the incredible line of, I can't, I'm dead. Which, hilarious, iconic. But yeah. yeah, like, there is a lot of different ways that they could have introduced the itching powder. Or maybe she has, like, a beanie or something. A hoodie. Yeah. You know? There's a million different ways that it could have been done, and they chose the weirdest. (laughs) Which is that she's randomly brushing her hair as she watches TV on somebody else's couch. We need to maybe this is a lot of time to spend on the hairbrush. Maybe I'm just insane. Question for the listeners. Last point before I move on from this spiral. (laughs) 
do you just like take a hairbrush everywhere or something like is that something that maybe people, it's a cultural thing maybe it's a cultural thing maybe people are just like they brush their hair more often in america because like i don't know about <laughs> you but like i brush my hair at the start of the day and at the end of the day i don't even brush my hair that often speaking of hair i very quickly just want to point out in the, the joke shop that they go to yeah in the background of the shop there is a mannequin with a rainbow clown wig Little known fact, that's actually... Supernatural fan representation. Yeah, I was going to say, that's actually me. Uh, It's a little known cameo. (laughs) I love it when they're like, yeah, we're going to represent the fandom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're wearing a suit. They got a little fancy. They put on a clown wig. You know, it was a special occasion. Cass was in the episode. We had to, like, be looking our best. Well, while we are still talking about hair. I don't know what urban myth they're referencing when Dean gets the hand Masturbation. Okay. Yeah, masturbation. Uh, that's the also thing where he's like, you know, you can go blind from that too. It's the set, like it's two different versions of. Is it very much like a Puritan? Like, okay. don't do that, kids, or else it cornflakes instead. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Because I've never, I've heard the go blind one, but I hadn't heard the hair one. Yeah. So that's why when Dean like goes to like get rid of it, and Sam's like, "Hey, don't use my razor," because it's like it's theoretically meant to be pubes. Yeah. There are other ways to test that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, a million things they could have done. Speaking of testing and maybe poor choices, (laughs) let's talk about the buzzer. Dean was really like, I have a hunch. I'm just going to hope that this hunch isn't going to kill you. Do you know Um, what's so funny? Is the last time I think one of them, quote unquote, had a hunch in The Great Pumpkin Sam Winchester with the rising of Sam Hain and Sam was like, cover yourself in this person's blood. And then Sam's like, oh yeah, it was like, I had a hunch. Like, I guess I was right. And you know what? I think the hunch they had before that was in fucking heart when they were like, oh, well, we think that maybe this will cure the fucking werewolf. I don't know if I'd call that a hunch. I feel like that was a, that was John's theory. So John like, had a hunch. <laughs> yeah, do you know what's really funny about that? The key difference is John is the only one who was wrong. <laughs> so, but yeah, so here's the thing. I love that scene so much. I think it's so funny because... Dean just, like, with his whole heart, pushes it into Sam. And the facial journey that Sam goes through as he realizes what has just happened is so funny. I swear to God, if looks could kill in this episode, Dean would have died from the whoopee cushion and then he would have died from the buzzer. Like, he would just be flat out dead. He would have dropped, like, that fucking dude who was possessed by the demon. We literally, okay, as you know, we watched this episode together as a bit of a change of pace. Mm -hmm. And... There is this one moment where they're transferring the demon from the postman to Julie's Julie. name. Yeah. Yeah, lovely. So they're transferring the demon from the postman to Julie. And after, like, the weird, like, kind of kiss, but, like... Almost kiss. Almost yeah. kiss, like, demon transfer thing, which was fine, I guess. The postman just dropped. It's so funny. He's Beth gone. was in the middle of taking a note, and we, I was literally like, no, no, no. We're going back. We're going to rewind. <laughs> we're going to rewind and you're going to watch this. Because when I say he fucking drops in the weirdest possible fucking <laughs> He way. just fucking go. And it's so fucking it's, funny. It's not like a slump. He like... It's not he, like he crumples. No. He just drops. He drops like, with force. Yeah. It's, it's wild. It is a choice. Very, very quickly before we move on. I'm so sorry. But only because it's that specific scene. Mm-hmm. There is no motherfucking it. way... That Julie, right, Julie of all people, like, we have just had her whole story about how her horrible trauma of being possessed and the pregnancy and the birth and all these things. She is so suspicious when she opens the door. She, like, is ready with the salt. 
You cannot motherfucking convince me there is any fucking possibility that woman did not have about 10 different anti-possession charms yeah. on her person, plus salt, plus yeah. holy water. That is also what I thought. I was like, it, it seems weird that she's not, like, going to lengths to prevent herself from getting possessed again. Yeah, there is like, no motherfucking The way. amount of trauma attached to that experience for her. You can't tell me she doesn't have a fucking anti-possession tattoo. Yeah. Because, like... This is clearly something that she did research on afterwards. Yeah, or she like she knew about the salt and stuff yeah. because of during her possession. So I'm like, okay, so you knew about that. So like, surely she either A, yeah, would have done more research or B, would have known about some other stuff. Because there's yeah. plenty of things we come across in the series that are like anti-possession things. It just seems bizarre Do you to me. think if you ate a high sodium diet, you could like make it harder for demons to possess you? Like, who cares if your blood pressure is shot to shit? <laughs> At least you can't get possessed by a demon. I mean, to be fair, of the two, I would prefer the hypertension. Not that I'd want it just generally, but if it's my, if that's my two options, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, what I was actually going to say is I love the choice of the magician's shirt. Oh my god. It is, I don't know, like, what, ma- magic shop owner? I don't know what to actually, but I don't know if we, I don't think we get a name for him. I don't think so either. I love his shirt. It is a choice and a half it is the truly polar baffling. bear is truly baffling. Yeah, <laughs> and in that scene, they test the buzzer, and he's flipping out, which is like fucking hilarious. Oh yeah, on the rubber chicken. But they do the fucking thing where they're just like, "Sorry," and then they nope out of there. I know it's so like, funny. They're like, "Oh, sorry, LMA, we're gonna bye." <laughs> no explanation. I also want to know, like, their choice of things to test the buzzer on. It's fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. So the first scene, we've got the what, leg of meat. It's a ham, I think. It's a ham. Like a Christmas ham. Yeah. They have it in a foil tray, which <laughs> is metal. What the fuck, dude? That is metal. Uh, they literally learned nothing from Dean's electrocution in season one. Fucking nothing. Dean's probably still got a reoccurring heart thing underneath all of that. Like Even with Cass raising him from, yeah. from hell. Yeah. I was going to say, actually, no, maybe, got, maybe when Cass pulled him up, he finally got rid of his heart problem. His- I mean, to be fair, I think that Roy pretty much cured him in faith anyway. Mm. It's bananas. It's odd. So they're like, they're like, yeah, let's do this in a metal tray that will conduct fucking electricity. To be fair, I assume the table they're doing it on is wood. Mm. So like, it's not going to leave the tray, I suppose. I mean, wood can conduct electricity. It's just not a... Not as good, I mean, yeah. conductor. Which, I mean, okay, the wood is then touching the ground. So assuming that like it then grounds the current... Are you really going to take a risk with what could be some sort of cursed object? Fucking Lord knows, honestly. And then they melt the rubber chicken. Mm-hmm. What does Jesse actually say about the show? Because it's not necessarily about what it should, like, what it's supposed to do, quote unquote. It's about what Jesse believes. Dean asks him specifically, like, he has, he holds it out. Yeah. Oh, Dean holds it out and Jesse just says, you shouldn't have that. It's dangerous or something. Or it could kill you or something like that. Yeah, it could kill you, a human being, not a fucking rubber chicken. Well, I mean, in this child's mind, it's a very dangerous object. Because, yeah, it's about it's about Jesse's belief, not necessarily the actual practicality and of it. And then, obviously, the third time is tested on Sam, which... Iconic. <laughs> fucking hilarious. While we're talking about the buzzer mm-hmm. and the ham, Dean and food. Dean and food. Dean and food. We looked at each other, we shared a knowing glance. And then and we, we both like... took simultaneous notes. <laughs> <laughs> we were like... My note was specifically, I bet you Jensen Ackles regrets fucking eating <laughs> in what was it, Bugs? He has the little Frankfurter or whatever. Moments of Jensen Ackles regretting his life choices. Bugs. Yeah. 
and I just wrote Dean and Food LMAO and then I wrote also Sam turning it down. And then later in the episode, we get one of my favourite fucking lines. It's so funny. Where Sam walks in and Dean's eating like a ham sandwich and Sam's like, still with the ham? And Dean just goes through a mouthful. We don't have a fridge. <laughs> I just, I just think it's so funny because it's this concept of, well, we can't let it go to waste. Like, we have this food. We cannot keep but it. But I'm sorry, but we don't have a fridge. Where the fuck have they been? Ham should be refrigerated. Yeah. So he's, he's gonna give himself food poisoning. Uh, yeah. Fucking maybe food health <laughs> safety should have been my goddamn PSA again. These boys have no fucking idea. I know, it's fucking wild. I mean, they have their esky. Like, they could have had it in the esky, I suppose, which is better than nothing. Like, it's clearly not a regulated temperature, but it is still colder than just room temperature, mm. so it would have helped to a degree. But yeah, no, absolutely wild, wild choices. I would like to take a moment to appreciate the number of times that Jamie in this episode shared brain cells with our main characters. It was quite entertaining for me personally. And I did complete the trifecta. You, you did. Uh, so initially we had Sam saying, could it be a trickster? Mere seconds after Jamie goes, could it be the trickster? No, this episode is too desaturated for that. <laughs> Which was iconic. And then... A few scenes later, we had Sam and Dean looking at the map and Jamie going, okay, but what's in the center? Followed almost immediately by Dean being like, okay, what's the A-bomb in the center? And then... It was actually literally the scene where he's talking to Sam and Sam's like, oh, we can tell him and he'll make responsible decisions. Yeah. And I said something along the lines of, oh yeah, like Sam did. Yeah. Literally <laughs> like not even 30 seconds before Castiel was like, you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> And I think you actually had one later on. You said something about Sam and Jesse or something. And I've written in all caps, Jamie sharing a brain cell with Darb, question mark, question mark, question mark. And so I think that was maybe in reference to the fact that you had hit all three. And then you said yeah. to me, oh my God, I've shared brain cells with all three of them. Yeah. So <laughs> do with that what you will. <laughs> in most episodes of Supernatural, there are like maybe an occasion or two where I'm like, I know exactly what they're going to say next. Yeah. Like, this is the only thing that it makes logical sense to say next. Yeah, you know the so, characters by now. Yeah, you know like, them. You know the sequence of the show. Like, but this one was like just especially unique because, like, a you were actually there to listen to me say the exact say lines. the exact lines literally thirty seconds before. What I think is more pressing about this episode, mm. and what I think we really need to like address. Uh huh. I want that Castile action figure. Like, okay, <laughs> it's better than the Funko Pops. Honestly, it's like. Like, Castile action figure when? Like, <laughs> it's built into, like, the fucking show. Like, I know. This is the CW again just being bad at business. This is why they're broke. Yeah. Because they don't take the opportunities they're presented with. Honestly, actually, I have a note about... I'm glad you brought up the action figure. Because action figure Cas 1 is just very funny. I want to... Which I've never seen anyone ever talk about action figure Cas. Really? I've never heard anything about that one. Like, I've heard a lot of stuff about a lot of things, but never action figure Cas. And you know what? I think it just really opens up the possibilities for a Toy Story AU. <laughs> I got it. Oh my god, where Jesse is Andy? Yeah. Oh my god, that's so cute. Except he's just a master collection of tiny <laughs> people that have pissed him off. Anyway, anyway, anyway. I have a... I mean, clearly Dean is Woody. He's a cowboy. Does that make cows and beep though? Like, <laughs> a bamf with a crook? <laughs> 
what is a literally a band for the flock oh my god (laughs) anyway here's a funny thing i have a feeling that like ages and ages ago i literally could not tell you when i could not tell you what season or episode or what i swear you asked me at some point like if we ever get like a character who gets like transfigured or something and i i feel of this episode i remember asking in regards to cast like does cast like vents and we were talking about like the size of Cass and like oh, how even being maybe. in a human vessel is like a little bit. That was relatively recent. I want to yeah. say we did. That was a discussion from four twenty. I feel like I'd remember that. So I think this could be a while ago. Honestly, I might have even have cut it out because it was kind of irrelevant at the time. But this is yeah the episode. If you at all remember, or if anyone who's listening knows, yeah, well, you did talk about that. This is what I was thinking of. Was this episode where Cass becomes an action figure? But. I really want to talk about the very interesting symbolism of Cass as the action figure, right? And this is, I know, wild sentence. This is the true brain worms showing, okay? Okay. They're rearing their heads right now. Do you remember in the season finale of season four, we had the very deliberate shot of Dean toppling the angel figurine from the table, having it smash on the floor, and then the very, like, Cass reaction shot being like, hello. In this episode, not once but twice, we have Dean pick the Cass figurine off the ground and put it very carefully back on the shelf. We also literally have Dean calling Cassie's buddy. And also, I want to make a note that Dean says he's kind of a buddy of mine, not mm. a buddy of ours. Which is very interesting and funny, specifically because of Cass and Sam's little, like, heated moment <laughs> from they're earlier like, in the episode. Basically, like, their entire relationship at this point is, like, yeah, you married my brother, but also, like, I kind of hate you. So, <laughs> like, their entire dynamic at this point is we both love and care about Dean, but each other, not so much. I'll put up with you because I know you mean something to Dean. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really interesting because I, from what I've heard, their dynamic does sort of shift mm-hmm. as they go through the seasons. Wildly. And I have heard that when you do get Cass and Sam together... They are chaos. Cass and Sam, chaos duo besties. Iconic. I love them. Every time Dean leaves them alone together, they make the most unhinged choices. <laughs> They're like, oh, let's do this experiment that could kill both of us. Cool. And Dean's like doing some other thing. Comes back later in the episode. Like, what did you guys get up to? And they're like, well, <laughs> funny a- you should ask. Yes. So I do think it is. So, so interesting that, yeah, we've had this this parallel where Dean has, like, literally, like, tipped the angel figurine. Like, he tipped it into falling and you see it, like, smash on the ground. Mm-hmm. And then it's come to this part where he's like, actually, he's my friend. So I'm going to very gingerly pick him up and place him in, like, the safe spot so he doesn't get kicked or stepped on or something. I also love the description that we get of Cass from Dean, which I'm going to mention here because it's something that we will keep track of because it does change through the series, the number of times we get Dean describing Cass to others. But in this scene, he says, there's a guy here in a trench coat. And I just think that's hilarious because yeah, no other man with a trench coat could exist. (laughs) He's just some guy in a trench coat. Though I feel like we need to now actually talk about the things in this episode that have some implications. Mm -hmm. Two lines specifically, one of which is, is that why your like your parents leave you alone all day because they, they love, love you so much? Mm-hmm. And then the second one is, I wish Dad had lied to us. Yeah, things that make you go. Hmm. hmm. Did you have a particular direction that you wanted to take this thought? So I was wanting to talk about these because I think these two lines are intrinsically linked. 
Like, mm-hmm. I don't think you can take one away from the context of the other. Them together is what makes them so significant. Because here's the thing. They have paralleled this kid. Like, I joke that they parallel him with every single... But, like, that's not really true. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do. Like, there is, like, the tiniest little bit of, like, Castiel parallels there. And that he's like, yeah, no, I'm just going to nope out for a bit. Mm-hmm. But primarily, they parallel him with Sam and Dean. Yeah, both of them. Which is interesting. Both of them. And specifically Sam and Dean, if they hadn't had each other. Mm-hmm. Like, it's literally Sam and Dean combined into one character. Yeah. I would argue it's like if you took Dean away and you just had Sam. Like, this is Sam, what Sam would have been without Dean. Because he has had to raise himself. He has a whole bunch of powers that he doesn't know what they are about. Or Absentee what they can parents. Do. Absentee parents. All of that sort of stuff. Demonic and origins. Demonic origins. All The whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. Even being described as the Antichrist, they have in common. Self-referenced as freak. Yeah. Yeah. It is fascinating that they use the line from the demon, which is literally like, obviously they care about you, otherwise why would they leave you alone all the time? Like, mm-hmm. the, the implication there is, it's neglect. And it is bad that they have had to raise, like, that he has had to raise himself. Mm-hmm. Which is fascinating when you consider they have very heavily paralleled this kid with the brothers. And then you add on to that, that like Jesse's parents were absentee parents, but they still cared enough about him to try and like protect him from the world. To be fair, like neither of us are parents. And I know that there's like a lot of discourse amongst parents about whether or not it is okay or ethical to lie to your kids. And you know, that could be whether or not it's okay to tell them about Santa or if it's okay to tell them about the reality of death, you know, like there are varying degrees and Obviously, it's dependent on, like, age and the way that you explain things to kids changes as they get older and that they have a more solid understanding of the world and, you know, become more mature and are able to handle certain concepts better. We joked earlier about how, like, Sam's like, yeah, I used to make dinner for myself. And we're like, yeah, sure, Sam. But, like, also, like... What would your brother parent have to say about that? (laughs) But also, like, like we said before, like, Sam would have made his own dinner at a certain age. But I think it, it lends itself to your point, which is that Jesse is Sam and Dean combined as a single kid. Because normally when we have, we have like maybe a flashback episode, for example, 118 Something Wicked, where we have... That's literally the episode I was also thinking about. Exactly. So you have the two, you have the older and the younger brothers. And like, it's a very clear parallel. Like we've had this happen multiple times now through the show. And oftentimes we talk about how it's pretty heavy handed and obvious. In this instance, they've done this really interesting parallel where you can read it both ways. And it the is... The kid is simultaneously Sam and Dean. Thinking about something wicked, even the setup of him making the soup, carrying the pot over to the bowl on the table to pour for himself, is literally the exact choreography of something wicked of Dean making the SpaghettiOs for Sam. The only exception being there is no one sitting in the seat because he's doing it for himself rather than a younger brother. I also think it's interesting to sort of contrast and compare the parents Mm -hmm. in this episode specifically because we don't meet them like we see them sleeping and it's very clear that he cares about his parents very much but also what i think this episode does is okay yeah it's paralleling him with the brothers Mm -hmm. but it's doing it in a very specific way and it is paralleling the brothers not so much in like a they were both neglected sort of way Mm -hmm. but in uh they had to raise themselves sort of way and I think the distinction is important because while it is clear that this kid has had to grow up a bit too fast and 
sort of at least half race himself. They pretty well established based on like the same costuming decisions. The reason the parents aren't there most of the time is probably because they need to work to support the family. Yeah. Like it is pretty obvious that they are not well off. It's clearly a case of they care about their child and the unfortunate side effect of poverty Mm. is that it leaves you with this choice of, well, do I work insane hours and take extra shifts, which means I'm spending time away from my child, or do we not eat? Do we not put our child through school? Do we not clothe our child? The other thing is that we get specifically establishing points that Jesse's doing well in school, Mm -hmm. that Jesse is like well acclimatized, has friends, like these things. So it is so different to Sam and Dean's reality as kids where they did not have a stable home. They did not have a consistent education. They weren't able to have friends really. Yeah. You know, and so that's a, a big significant difference too. They didn't have a community. Jesse still has community mm-hmm. in a way that Sam and Dean were never reasonably able to attain. I also just want to say in specifically their portrayal of Jesse as the Antichrist and Jesse's powers, it's giving me big Good Omens vibes. Like, I know you haven't consumed any Good Omens. Like you... I've watched like the first two episodes. Yeah. But basically the way the Antichrist works in Good Omens is they basically can warp anything to their perception. Like, oh, it's basically the exact same mechanics as this. I mean, we talked about Neil Gaiman's works yeah. with Jen last week. So, yeah. like, that makes a lot of sense. While we're kind of on, like, a more sort of serious moment, I want to talk about Bobby. Harkening back to 419, where yeah. we had KJ on, and yeah. we talked a lot about John and parenting, and obviously and Adam. beat John to death with a baseball bat. Yes. In 419, Dean's plan is like, what do we do with Adam? Well, obviously, we take him to Bobby's. Yeah. We want him to be safe. We want him to be cared for. But, like, obviously, he needs to be educated, so we can't just, like, send him on his merry way. We take him to Bobby's. Obviously, Bobby will know what to do, right? And then in this fucking episode, we have the exact same thing. Dean's like, well, obviously, we take him to Bobby. Yeah. And I think that that is so interesting because it so clearly underlines the fact that Dean sees Bobby's house, or Bobby in general, as a safe space for troubled youths. He's like, oh, we have a troubled young person who has had a negative experience with the supernatural. Guess we'll take him to Bobby's. Like, that's just his go-to move. And I just think that that is so telling of how he feels about Bobby and his relationship with Bobby. It's just, and we'll, we'll get to talk about that in later seasons when we get a little bit more context about Bobby's influence on Dean in his youth. But yeah, it's just, it's so wholesome. And I love that it's his instinct to be like, small child, take to Bobby. <laughs> Bobby knows what to do with a small child. Mm -hmm. I think we maybe kind of got a little bit sidetracked on your last point about Dean saying, the more I think about it, the more I wish Dad would lie to us. I think we probably need to address that a little bit more specifically. Because if we, even if we think back to the pilot and the initial argument that Sam and Dean are having, and Sam's like, when I was nine and I told Dad I was scared of the monster under my bed, he gave me the 45. And Dean's like, well, what was he supposed to tell you? Obviously you were supposed to be afraid of the dark. And now we have like, the better part of four years later, or just over four years yeah. later, now we have him being like, you know what? To be fair for Dean, that's more like 43 years later. Yeah. <laughs> the hindsight of maturity. Yeah. It's now like 60 odd. It's yeah, like- exactly. So he is looking at it through this this lens of like, you know what? Actually, I kind of wish that dad had just told you there's no monster under the bed. I already checked kind of yeah. thing. Like rather than... Putting that telling shit on you, his kids. Yes, you know, absolutely you should be scared of the dark. Here's how you hunt werewolves. And yeah. also, um, I'm going to leave you alone with your sibling. And if you see something, shoot first, ask questions later. Totally normal response. Totally fine and normal things. <laughs> it's definitely, I think, 
the most explicit acknowledgement we've had so far. Outside of, like, the monologue in 310 mm-hmm. of Dean acknowledging that his childhood was messed up. Mm-hmm. And that the he damage... He wishes it was different, I think, is the case. Yeah. And, like, the damage that was done by John not thinking to protect his children mm-hmm. and their mental health. I think it's the first sort of, like, real acknowledgement we get of, like, oh, well, maybe John's version of quote-unquote protecting them didn't actually protect them. I want to, very quickly before we wrap up, touch on the fact that I have this really sad, like, thought in my mind. So we get in this episode that Dean thought that sea monkeys were real. And he's like, no, no, not like the shrimp, like you see on the TV, like on the ads. Like, I was six, but I thought they were real. The trauma of six-year-old Dean, who has just lost the family dynamic that the sea monkeys were presenting on the screen, the, like, fucking nuclear family and all that shit. Do you think Dean was jealous of the sea monkeys? Like, do you think he watched them and he was like... At six, did he know about the supernatural yet? Yeah, I think KJ was talking to us about John's journal and, like, within two weeks of Mary dying, Dean had seen his first monster. So he so, knew... And he's the other, so no wonder he believed it. Yeah, no wonder he thought sea monkeys could be real. Everything else is wanted, real. Do you like, think he wanted to be a sea monkey? <laughs> Quite genuinely, it it's such a interesting description. Like, the way that he described it in the episode makes me think that, like, maybe he watched it as a little kid and was mm-hmm. like, that's what it's supposed to be. Wish I could be a little sea monkey. I have two very quick last points. One, I want to touch on the fact that even though, like, everything with Jesse was, like, pretty fucked up and there was really no good way to go about it, at least they gave him the autonomy of choice. Jesse had the freedom to choose if he wanted to go with Sam and Dean or if he wanted to hang out with the demons or, like, what. Like, he did get to choose. And even when Sam and Dean are originally presenting him, they're presenting him with a choice. Yeah. Like, okay, they're fucking gaslighting the fuck out of this Yeah, game. it's manipulation at its finest. Here's the thing, though. It is manipulation, and they are lying to him, but not in every regard. What they're trying to do is they're trying to get him to Bobby's so that Bobby can train him to use his power responsibly. Yeah. So, like, the bare bones of that story are true. Mm-hmm. It's just the details that are lies. Yeah. AKA the, you're a superhero, we're a part of a secret government agency, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. And but, honestly, I would argue that the superhero analogy isn't even fake either. Like, he is a human figure with superhuman abilities. Like, that is the definition of a superhero. They don't have to necessarily be a hero, but he is still superhuman in that sense. And if they coerce him into the direction of, like, their design... That would put him on, like, for lack of a better term, a, like, righteous path, you know? And so that would, by definition, kind of make him a superhero. Like, the alternate is that he becomes a supervillain. So I would argue that, honestly, the superhero analogy is less a lie and more a, like... An analogy to help the kid understand. Yeah, exactly. Because, again, the kid is young. Like, you know. But, like, he's learning a lot right now. It's the details that are primarily different. It is, you know, exactly where his powers come from. It is... The fact that they're not associated with any U.S. government agency. (laughs) I mean, he's not wrong. Bobby is in a wheelchair, a bit like Professor Oak. And one last thing that I want to say. Do they leave Julie in that house? I don't fucking know. Like, do the parents wake up the next morning? Their child is gone with a mysterious note saying, sorry, I had to leave for your safety. And And there's a strange woman downstairs. And then if you ask the strange woman what she's doing downstairs, 
She is your child's biological mother who gave him up at birth. Who was just recently possessed by a demon. And also, like, their walls are fucked up. Like, there's massive cracks in the plaster. Like, they're going to come downstairs. The lounge room is going to be absolutely destroyed. There's a strange woman slumped in the corner. And their child is missing with a cryptic note. You know what? Wild. I kind of wish that his mum become a recurring character as well. The potential there for Julie to become a hunter, they really are just like, we don't want to deal with any of the consequences of our own writing. (laughs) The fact that Julie and Jesse, like neither of them become recurring characters. It's a massive missed opportunity. And what is quite funny is in later seasons, we do revisit a very similar like plot with some very similar characters. Like the fundamental details of it are changed. But quick question, is this revisiting in Darb era? Hilariously, yes. It is, in fact, Darb era. It's the fucking... We've uncovered the Darb long cop. <laughs> oh my god. Like, he just really <laughs> wanted to do this. He just really wanted someone to birth the Antichrist. Yeah. He was like, is no one going to give birth to the Antichrist? Well, like, well, I guess I'm going to have to do it myself. <laughs> oh, good And then Lord. he wrote... Two Antichrist characters into the fucking plot of Supernatural. And made them Dean Cass and Sam coded. All simultaneously. All simultaneously. Oh, that's... Less fun than the Sarah Gamble long con. I so desperately want to explain to you how unhinged that makes me feel, but I'm not going to. Has anyone else connected the dots yet? I don't know. People don't talk about this episode that much. Yeah, that is one thing. I've never heard the name of this episode, which is... I forgot what this episode was about, even though I watched it two weeks ago. It is confusing for me because, like, this is also a fandom where I'd heard the name After School Special a lot. Mm-hmm. And, like, in different ways, but I think both episodes are equally not- notable. You know what I mean? Like, and here's the thing, though. I don't know how the mechanics of it work. But if giving birth to the Antichrist is as simple as basically possessing someone for nine months. Why, why the fuck do I have 12,000 Antichrists? Why are there no Antichrists? I had this question too. Like, like this should be the demon's number one priority. And the Why are they going not, around fucking dripping demon blood into kids' mouths? I know. Why wasn't Az- Azazel sort of just possessed Mary? Azazel! Oh my god. <laughs> why didn't Azazel possess John and do everything? And we return to the Amigaverse. <laughs> Everything comes back to that. Like, why didn't Azazel just possess John? Like, John's bloodline's the important one here. Empreg, they can make it a thing. They're a fucking demon. I hate everything about what you just said. That's such a cursed thought. Anyway, did you have any other notes? No, okay, I am fun. done. <laughs> and like we always do, we must end on Azazel. <laughs> now and at the end of every episode I'll add it in like and how can we link this episode to Jazazel <laughs> the beginning of an era oh I am not doing that this is so cursed anywho Jamie I'm so intrigued to know how yeah. would you rate this week's episode I believe the children are the future out of five I think I'm gonna give it a three out of five okay I'm surprised at that yeah I was debating between a two and a half and a three really yeah I thought I was thinking it would be closer to 3.5 Ah, yeah. After see, I yeah, we get iconic cast. We get yeah, iconic children. Three of them. Mm -hmm. We've got like the whole bit with like the action figure. Like I was expecting it's it's a serious episode, but it's quite fun. I am docking at points though. Okay, because I know they're not going to deal with the consequences 
of any of this. It's like you have basically oh, already... So Aisha just should not have told you that Jesse yeah. doesn't come back. Yeah. Knowing that, like, Jesse doesn't come back, Julie doesn't come back, and also just, like, the couple of moments where the characters just didn't feel quite in character, I'm just docking at points. Like, it was a fine episode, it has a lot of implications, and I just don't think they've really dealt with any of them at this point, and I have a feeling they're never going to deal with any of them if we don't get Jesse back. Okay. Or do we ever hear anything about Jesse again? Not from memory. Okay. Out of curiosity... Mm. Like, if it wasn't for the fact that I told you that we don't get Jesse back, which honestly, in hindsight, maybe I shouldn't have done that yeah. because it's probably going to impact your predictions, but would your rating change? It'd probably be a three and a half. Okay. Because so that's like, what I would yeah. have expected. Because I think this yeah. episode, like, without thinking about, because you're looking at it in terms of future context, yeah. but I'm thinking about the episode singularly yeah. by itself. I would still be debating between a three and a three and a half. Mm-hmm. But the reason that it's, like, definitely firmly in the three category. With Supernatural, there's always the potential that they're not going to deal with the implications of their own writing. And I'm not even just talking from, like, a character. I'm talking about, like, literally the law that they introduce. They're not always necessarily going to deal with. Yeah. This storyline does not feel wrapped up. It feels like they've left it incredibly open-ended. Mm. And so you confirming for me that, yeah, no, they're never going to deal with this storyline just sort of, like, cements it as closer to the three side than the 3.5. The next episode is titled The Curious Case of Dean Winchester. Do you have any thoughts, feelings, predictions, hopes, dreams? I think Dean's going to start aging backwards. Because, of course, <laughs> The Curious Case of Benjamin Button yeah. is where he is born as an old man and he ages backwards. Yeah. So I think I yeah. think, I think, think we're going to have Dean start to age backwards. Okay. So maybe it's like a fountain of youth or something. Ooh, that's fun. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're, yeah. they're taking the fountain of youth concept to the extreme like no no longer does the fountain of youth just keep you young yeah it's going to make you actively start aging backwards okay out of curiosity how young are we thinking i want infant dean and sam trying to take care of him and is just absolutely hopeless at it (laughs) i love that oh my god you know what okay hear me out who would you rather see taking care of infant dean sam bobby cass because I can think of I, three different reasons I would want I all think three of them. I'd rather see Cass because I think they'd be the funniest. <laughs> but I also think it's the least likely. Watching Bobby look after Baby yeah. Dean might make me cry. Yeah. Watching Sam struggle to look after Baby Dean. Yeah. <laughs> Iconic. And I also think that that will tie into this episode. We had a lot of, like, this episode and last episode specifically, we had a lot of Sam being like, well, you're treating me like a kid sort of yeah. attitude. So I think it'd be very fun for it to be like, well, the tables have tables. Uh, next question. Do we think Cass is going to be in next week's episode? I don't know. It just feels like... <laughs> That's the least certain you've been about yeah. this question the whole time. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't... It feels like we're now hit a filler patch. So I was like, I don't know if they're going to use up their Cass episodes on filler patches. Okay. But also, like, they did use Cass this episode. And it seems weird that after the way this ended, that Cass is just going to nope on out of it. Do we think he's gone to Australia? (laughs) I mean, I think he's antiquing in Australia. I love that for him. I think that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you have had as much fun listening as we have had recording. If you would like to get in touch with us, all of our social media links are down in the description below. Feel free to hit us up on any of those. And some possible topics of conversation could include... Gisazel. <laughs> we did. We're not doing Gisazel again. We are not. No. <laughs> I'm putting my foot down. Okay. Oh, did they make action figure cats? 
Oh yeah, if you know. Yeah. I mean, we could literally Google like, it, we but could we're Google lazy. It, but we're lazy, so <laughs> this is the theme of the podcast. And not like Funko Popcast. No. Like, I know they have that. I own a Funko Popcast, but like, this speci- Don't make that face at me. Don't make that face at me. You know, you know who I am as a person. <laughs> yeah, I made the mistake of making a supernatural podcast for you. So, yeah, did, did they make that exact figurine? Like, yeah. is that something that was ever produced? Because or I did, like, was there ever, like, a fan-made version of that figurine? Oh, yeah, that yeah. could be fun. Oh, my God, do you know what? We should have craft day. We'll get some, like, modelling clay that you can bake in the oven and we'll make little casses. We can paint them. Jamie's looking at I me like... I think you severely <laughs> overestimate my artistic ability. <laughs> I think I'm severely overestimating reason, my own artistic there's ability. There's a reason I started a podcast and didn't know make fan <laughs> art. Like... I would argue that some of your theories qualify as art. So, thanks for listening. <laughs> the energy in this episode has been unhinged. unhinged. Yeah. Like, I... Maybe we should watch episodes together more often. <laughs> we feel more unhinged than normal. And I don't know if that's just because we made, like, the spur-of-the-moment decision to record an extra episode. Four extra episodes this weekend. <laughs> or... We're unwell, Jamie. It's been a vibe. Anyway. Bye.